visit the Downtown Den, join us through our website, all the W's, downtowninbusiness.com. Stay in, stay safe, visit the Downtown Den. Right, welcome to the Downtown Den for our latest event. I'm delighted today to be joined by Mike Emery from Metro Dynamics and Jessica Bowles from Bruntwood. Um, both of them will uh, tell you a little bit more about their respective uh, companies and roles within the businesses as the conversation progresses. Uh, I can just uh, welcome these two fabulous speakers by saying that they're the best double act that downtown has. We compare them with Morgan and Wise, uh, but of course, a little less funny, but certainly uh, entertaining in their own way. So good afternoon, guys. Great to see you. Hello. Hello. And I know you're going to kick us off this time, Mike, uh, in terms of giving us your thoughts and opinions on a variety of matters. But before we get into that, can you just explain your background and also what Metro Dynamics does? So, um, well, first off, Frank, it's always lovely to do stuff because you always uh, have interesting debates and uh, um, it's always nice to be doing things with Jessica as well. So two for the price of one. So we, we set up Metro Dynamics five years ago. Um, I, at the time, was working for what was New Economy, now part of the Greater Manchester Combined Authority. Um, we'd, had, we'd had the City Growth Commission, uh, which was an idea I'd had, and then got Greater Manchester behind that we then got the call cities and others to back and and a friend of mine that I've known for 30 years Ben Lucas was running it at the core cities at, uh, at um, the RSA and we agreed to on, once that report had come out which said there should be more devolution to cities and I at the time had been working with Howard Bernstein on the first couple of GM devolution deals we decided that there was scope for a business that really specialized in place um, uh, that focus on economics, on strategy, on getting deals done, on getting political communications and strategic communications working, all with a view to trying to make cities work better. And because you know, there's plenty of good technical people who do business cases and what have you, but we felt there was nobody doing that. And so we set the company up five years ago. We're now 20 odd people, based in Manchester and London. We've worked with just about every bit of the country, lots of private sector companies too, leveraging my experience as a civil servant in the Treasury and in Downing Street and other places and uh, lots of other former civil servants. And, and, and that's what we do. Uh, and before you, you mentioned briefly your time at, at Greater Manchester, in particular your role in drawing up the devolution deal, uh, Devo Mankers it became commonly yeah. known. But prior to that, and one of the, I think, underlying reasons why Manchester has enjoyed a, a degree of success, great success over the past 20, 25 years, is that it's always been able to go to government with asks that have been evidence-based. Yeah. And of course, you were responsible for the Manchester Independent Economic Review. I was. Uh, and I think other cities are, are beginning to copy and replicate some of that work. Um, but given the fact that we are now in an unprecedented, and that word is well overused, but I think in this case it's justified, an unprecedented situation, um, I would suggest it's even more important now that cities and places begin to actually collate information evidence about their localities, because we are in danger, I fear, of having a government that simply provides a blanket that says one size fits all. And in my opinion, Mike, and you, you can agree or disagree with this, I think each city, each region will actually have its own priorities and will be able to recover in different ways. Um, well, I, I, I do agree completely with what you said. So yeah, the Manchester Independent Economic Review was, was, was something that I very much um, kicked off and stewarded through. And of course, that's, they've just repeated it five years, well, 10 years on was it with the prosperity review. I, I did one just before the crisis broke in Cambridge, uh, working for Cambridgeshire um, on the Cambridgeshire and Peterborough Independent Economic Review. Um, and, and we've just been engaged, as you know, by your home city of uh, Liverpool, Tony Reeves and, and his team were working closely with them on a recovery plan. And, and, you know, one of the things that was, you know, really, brilliant to see early on in that engagement was was Tony saying look we've got to start by looking at the numbers and what are the numbers telling us uh, about about Liverpool and 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 
and yet working it up from the bottom up because you know particularly in a time of change like this there's lots of things that you you thought you could take for granted that you absolutely can't and there's lots of things um that that are new that you never even thought of and unless they're in unless they're in in your strategy planning space chances are you're going to hair off in the wrong direction and in terms of um the particular priorities at this moment in time for the different places and i don't necessarily expect you to comment on them all but you will be aware of the strengths and the weaknesses perhaps of those cities that you have worked in before and you're looking at now so Liverpool Manchester uh, from a northwest perspective but also like to get your take on Birmingham uh, and the other just sector to throw into the mix here Mike and whether you have a view on this I'm not sure but I wasn't aware before we hit this crisis of how important and big the hospitality sector was to the UK. I appreciated it was a large sector. We've got loads of members in the hospitality sector and it's always been seen as uh, an important underpinning economic activity for cities in particular. Um, but just wondered whether, you know, the specific things that you think we can identify for those three cities I've mentioned, uh, but also any views on the hospitality sector and what it might look like for them post-crisis. So um, we've, we've hit on both of those in the work I've, I've done for Liverpool, and, and but even more in I'd say on culture. Um, but but they all have the same same basic problem, which I'll, I'll come back to in a sec. And the first first thing to say is we're working with somewhere in the south that, that should should probably remain nameless because um, it's not my job to broadcast their business. Mm. Um, and as it happens, the bit of the economy that they're in has lots and lots of um, uh, defence contracting, it has uh, lots of stuff for the, for the air industry, for, for satellites and that sort of thing. Um, they've got gaming speciality as well. And, and we'd, we'd actually just done a piece of work for them before this all broke. And a hypothesis I came up with, which we're testing now, we don't know what the answer is, is that if you've got an economy like theirs, where effectively the driver of that economy is basically business to business and business to government on, 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 on big non-consumer services, then a reasonable hypothesis, I think, is that you're probably going to be safer than if you've got an economy that's principally uh, business to consumer and around consumption. Because you know, if the OBR is right and, and, the, and the, in the first quarter the British economy shrinks by 34%, is there, I think, their base forecast, then you know, bizarrely, that means that, that, that uh, a third, you know, two thirds of the economy is, is still going to be going strong. And that, I, my guess is that the 34 is going to be very, very consumer driven, very uh, interactive, um, personal services, uh, and that sort of thing. So, so, so if I were looking at this uh, in any place, one question I'd be asking, uh, and we're doing the numbers right now, I just don't have the results, is whether or not um, uh, uh, you're, you're, you're really exposed to consumers. And of course, the sectors you've just raised, and I, I, rate, I put culture in there too, but hospitality, leisure, tourism, all that stuff, is absolutely about, about consumers. And, and the problem we've got is, it's not the last three months, because you, know, um, you can love this government or you can loathe it, but I'd say Rishi Sunak has admittedly taken three bites at the cherry to get there, but probably four or five now. He has done a, more than I would have ever bet any Conservative Chancellor would have done to try and stop the economy going into freefall. And, and although the numbers are going to look ugly, they're going to look a damn sight better than they would have done had he not done that. The problem's going to come when this unravels. And everything I'm seeing out of government, um, including some private conversations I'm having, says that we can expect that, uh, that, that, that we're going to get progressive easing and that social distancing is going to remain and whether you are running uh, a cruise liner whether you're a restaurant uh, a large shop uh, a, a theater a concert hall how how we are going to affect social distancing in these sectors for what's probably going to be several months and quite possibly a year or two ahead is anybody's guess and that prospect alone is it I suspect enough to tip a lot of those sectors out of the sort of um, the the state state of suspended animation they've been in 
when that's when the when the life support that's keeping them going is is even eased, let alone withdrawn, that that could be enough to crystallise some of those into going over the edge. And our challenge is to identify through the means I've been talking about to which of those sectors they're particularly vulnerable, and then to make sure uh, that as cities, as as local authorities, as towns, as combined authorities, as left whatever we are, to be making the argument for government that they that they modify the arrangements they've got in appropriate and, and t timely ways and not that the treasury just, frankly, as a collective nervous breakdown, shits itself and takes all the money away because then we're all screwed uh, and all the good work that's been done so far will have been wasted. Yeah. So a longer term strategy, perhaps sector specific, and I'm, I'm not, I, I agree totally that Rishi Sunak's done a, a good job, um, but I do think that we potentially now need to well, not potentially, we do actually need to get into more specifics around those sectors. And we can see, as you've highlighted, Mike, the hospitality, visitor economy culture is going to require a longer term package of support if it's to survive. Yeah, and we don't know, you know, I'm um, uh, Jessica and I, as it happens, are trustees of, of a little orchestra that we set up in Manchester that, that does early music. We should be having a concert on Saturday. Wild Horses wouldn't drag me into St Anne's Church in Manchester on Saturday night. I'm not sure I want to be there any time in the early autumn either. So, so it's not just what the government does to change restrictions. It's that, it's that you know, one of the things that's driven the renaissance of our cities this last 20 years has been that we've all become a little bit like London in one respect, which is that we've all got closer and closer together, cheek, on jowl and the, uh, cheek, cheek by jowl in the way we live, uh, with density driving everything. And of course, that density is what's driven a lot of the creativity of cities. We're in this absolutely bizarre world where the very thing, and, and this is this is the sort of irony that, 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 that art gets off on in life, is that the very thing that has driven the sustainability of our cities this last 20 or 30 years is the very thing that is literally killing people. Because all the data are showing that it's bigger cities and denser places that are being uh, disproportionately hit. That's not just that they're bigger and therefore there's more, more, more um, people getting the virus and dying. It, it's that it's, it's proportionately hitting denser, bigger places more than smaller, smaller ones. And, and so that means we've all got to really rethink what we're doing. And that's why your point about evidence and strategy is so absolutely spot on. Mm. Uh, and if I can just stick with the Chancellor's announcements and those business support packages that he's put together, um, again, I think that you will have um, seen, you know, businesses, particularly SMEs, complaining once more about the slowness of the process, uh, banks not particularly being helpful, uh, other financial institutions dragging their heels. And, and brought me to the conclusion, Mike, of the fact that the sooner that we can accelerate devolution and get those decisions and those delivery mechanisms at a more localised level, the better. Because actually, when you've got people in charge who are accountable as well as being responsible, then those processes automatically accelerate because basically their job is quite literally on the line. Whereas when you've got these big institutions, they hide behind bureaucracy. And unfortunately, as I say, and we've seen this back in 2008 as well, we're not getting the money out of the door quickly enough. So I think there's two different points to make on that. I, I definitely agree with the point you've made about devolution. We, we actually, we're just finishing a huge piece of work for MHCLG, the government department that does local government housing, um, on, on resilience and vulnerability. And I'd, I did a lot of the case studies for that. And one thing that's crystal clear to me is that, you know, um, if you want a quick uniform response, then you do it all nationally and you push it down the stovepipes. You know, it's a military response, command and control. If what you want is, is a really effective long-term response, you need that devolution. And the truth is you need both. And we've got too much of the former and not enough of the latter. Because, you know, when, you know, I heard I was uh, doing, the, doing, doing some stuff this morning and listening to the radio and, and the, and the BBC journalists are saying, well, 
we, in care homes, we, we don't know what's going on. And what are these local resilience forums? I mean, if we were serious as a country, local resilience forums would be doing what, what's happening in the, in the land or in Germany and actually coordinating things. The fact that we've had to, we've got these things that aren't, aren't as embedded in our country as they should be means that, means that they're not as strong as they should be. There isn't enough local leadership. There isn't enough local capacity and there isn't enough local ability to flex resources to get things done. The second thing, though, that I think is specifically true of, 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 the, of the banking sector uh, is goes back to the last time we actually sat in a room together, Frank, uh, uh, which is when, when Jessica and I did this at the Lowry Hotel um, just six, six, eight weeks ago. But, and I remember saying that um, one of my sort of creed occur, if you like, was that we needed the public and the private sector to work differently together. We needed the third sector. We needed to, we needed more creativity. And if only we could, and I imagine some future world where we, where we just stop seeing ourselves as being victims of a path dependent approach. This is how we do things. And I think the one bit of Rishi Sunak's budgets that he's had to have shaken out of him by degrees, I think at the fifth attempt with hundred percent, guarantee 100% loans for banks without guarantees he's finally getting there is is this is this view that this is how we do things and, and I did not honestly think eight weeks ago when we sat together or whenever it was that we'd have car manufacturers manufacturing ventilators and you know people like private white VCs uh, making PPE for the NHS and and I did not actually think that you see Rishi Sunak giving the kind of guarantees that we don't give because there's moral hazard and, and all the other good economic reasons why in times of plenty you don't you don't you don't let sneeze off, off the hook a positive thing to take from that this is that all kinds of rules that have bound us and this is nothing to do with all that eu nonsense uh, and brexit you know the fact that we're living and breathing a crisis day by day in this country means that there's all kinds of rules that we've assumed were unbreakable that we're breaking. And when you can break them in times of war, you can, you can keep breaking the right ones in times of peace. And that's what we should be talking about. And if I can just stick with the devolution opportunity for a moment, Mike, I do think that conversations, well, I know conversations that are happening now between regional mayors and the government about putting some um, recovery packages together, which are managed at least partially uh, at that localised, regionalised level. Um, and of course, in places like Birmingham, like Liverpool and like Manchester, that infrastructure is well in place now because they've had elected mayors for a number of years and they're good to go. Leeds, a little bit behind the curve, uh, West Yorkshire devolution deal was only just announced uh, during that budget that you referenced there by Rishi Sunak. And then, of course, you've got the big counties and in the northwest, that includes Lancashire and Cheshire, which don't have those formal infrastructures in place. So where do you see that leaving those places? Let's start with the cities and the city regions where, as I say, there are mayors in place. What are the sort of things they should be thinking about right now? Um, well, I mean, for about the last month, um, they had to think about doing what they had to do. Uh, that people have just been hunkered down, uh, you know, making sure that as few people die uh, as this virus, uh, uh, you know, requires by the fact that it's uh, we don't have a, a vaccine for it, and that means having stopping the NHS falling over, making care homes safer than they clearly have been, etc. And and so, you know, I think we're just at, at the end of a phase where all hands were to were to, were to the pub. I'd say really smart people, and I know my former colleagues in GM are, are at it, and and you know uh, uh, Tony Reeves in Liverpool, uh, commissioned us to do the work two or three weeks ago uh, to help Liverpool, and others and others too. I th I think those big cities are uh, 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 can use their their infrastructure and and uh, uh, to start to put together recovery plans, and you know it's it's not uh, the old Rahm Emanuel. A quote of not wasting a, a, a good crisis. I mean that that sounds in this context it, it, it's, it's in it, it just sounds wrong. But but there is nonetheless an, an element of truth in it, which is that uh, when there's a crisis, um, yes, you've got to do what you've got to do in the first phase. But as that as you get beyond that, you've got to start to think about the the about what you do next. And I think this, the big cities you've mentioned are already using their infrastructure uh, to do that. 
But for those who haven't got a combined authority in a mayor, um, I give you a different example just to illustrate. When in, whenever it was, June 1996, uh, uh, the IRA planted that bomb in Manchester um, uh, that I felt five mile, miles away in Chorlton when the house hunting, um, the then Assistant Chief Executive Council didn't have a massive team of, of, all, of all the advisors around him he had. He had some experience from City Challenge. What he did was he picked up the phone that day to Joe Berridge in Toronto and said, get over here because we're going to need some master planning. And to Michael Heseltine, the then Deputy Prime Minister, and said, we're, we're going to have to rebuild the city centre. And to, uh, and to uh, the private sector to say, we're going to need a mayor's relief fund operational, as, as it was so the, the, the ceremonial mayor. Uh, operational on Monday because there's a whole bunch of businesses have just been blown to pieces and ain't going to be reopening. And by, the, you know, some point in that next week, Manchester was open for business again. A package of funding was being put in place. Designs were being uh, uh, drawn up. And all that was from scratch by a really entrepreneurial group of public servants. And that's the answer to, to, to the places that don't have combined authorities. Use the opportunity of needing to rethink your place and the fact that your retail economy that was struggling is going to be in deep shit um, once this this is over and your cultural sector is going, going to be in trouble and uh, all your visitor economy and all other services you know, you've got to do what you've got to do you've got to stop the clock on uh, uh, to create some time and I'm, uh, you know I'm open for I'm open for business but there's other people too you, you've got to get the people round a table and say right what are we going to do because because we've done it before and it's not just it's not just manchester after the bomb it was london after 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 their bomb manchester after that more recent outrage you know it, it's just about seizing the moment and not letting events um completely drag you under of of, of taking the time and and being prepared to, to spend the money if, if you need to you don't always but if you do you do uh, uh, to, to to really decide that you're going to, you, you're going to make a stand and you're going to, as well as dealing with the immediate crisis, once, once that is under control, you're starting to put in place the team you need to rebuild. And anyone can do that at any scale. It's just, it's just going to be appropriate for place. Okay. Uh, we focused on the, the, those areas, those sectors that I think are going to face more difficult times going forward. Um, clearly what we need for a quicker recovery is to identify those sectors that might be more successful and can help the economy bounce back. Um, so whilst you're looking at Liverpool at this moment in time, are there any particular sectors that stand out there? Um, wider than that, because you know the country well, you know its economy well, Mike. Where are the sort of uh, sectoral wins that UK PLC may be looking at at the moment? I mean, there's a deep irony in this for those of us who care a lot about the whole Brexit debate, because that shock to the system um, uh, that, that we're having is, is actually preempting the, 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 the debate that we've been having about, about Brexit um, and, and would have happened, I think, more largely after the event uh, at the end of transition um, than is, is going to be the case. And I you know, I, th I, I hope we'll remain a, a globally open, open economy, uh, not just in terms of labour markets, let's say fruit needs picking, um, uh, uh, but also in, 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 in services and in manufacturing too. But I, I, I think there's no doubt about it. One of the trends that was there before it's going to be accelerated is, is nearshoring and onshoring. Um, and I, I suspect that what we're seeing is a thin end of a wedge, which says, you know, we're probably still going to all, not always going to get most of our uh, cheaper manufactured goods from elsewhere, from the, from the Far East and from China in particular, but actually we need security of supply. So that's going to create opportunities for manufacturing. Uh, it's going to reshape logistics. Um, I can see it's, it could change shipping patterns. I can see free ports coming back uh, even more strongly on the agenda. Again, whatever you think of, uh, of, of those um, uh, I, I think uh, you know, aspects of business to business services will, will remain strong I think it's, it, it's, it's the business to consumer services that I think are going to go through through a really tough time Okay, Mike we'll come back to you later because I know we've got uh, some questions from our audience that uh, we want to put to you but uh, 
Jess has been sat patiently listening um, to your words of wisdom. Uh, and Jess, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Welcome to the downtown den. And, uh, and Jess, just before uh, we talk about your thoughts, opinions about where we are at the moment, give us a bit about your background. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks, Frank. And thank you for inviting us to do this. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's brilliant to, to be here and be able to sort of stop and reflect really on where we are and where we might go next. So um, I'm the strategy director at Bruntwood. Um, we're a property company across um, the regional cities, as most people will know. And I'll talk a little bit more about what we do and how we see ourselves in it in a moment. But um, I, I've been there for about four years. Um, and before that, spent about 10 years working at Manchester City Council on some of the same subjects as, as Mike, but not all of the same subjects, thinking about future of cities, how Manchester was developing some of its devolution um, agenda, and then also the Northern Powerhouse and how the cities across the North and the regions um, could connect better um, and make the most of the assets that they had. And, and before that, I'd spent 15 years in the civil service, um, mainly working in the Department for Transport, and it was that that drove me um, to go and work in a city. I was fascinated about how we could make um, decisions in government better than we were doing because I could see the siloed nature of it and the fact that um, we were getting stuff wrong from the centre of government. Um, because you couldn't get full visibility of, of how the pieces of an economy in a place fitted together. And so I, I went to Manchester as a sort of experiment for maybe six months um, or two years and found myself here um, more than 10 years later, having done some fascinating things and, and also working in a, a property company, which was not on my list of things I ever thought I'd be doing. Um, but it is a quite unusual property company, I guess, and um, we um, are a developer, but we also um, own and manage our buildings long term, which gives us um, a different kind of perspective, I, I guess, on the future of the places that we're operating in and the need for them to be successful, for us to be successful and for our customers to be successful. So we um, have this kind of rootedness in the cities that, that we're in and, and possibly that's why I'm here um, talking about place and economy and the future of, of where we might go and why Mike and I have such fascinating um, discussions at, at home. Um, we though are, we also, and I'll come at this conversation um, from the perspective of, as being a business that employs over 800 people, a lot of whom are in that kind of customer facing, um, roles um, right through to right through to sort of developers and and designers in our in our business. So we have a 800 people working at all levels doing all kinds of different things. And um, so we're an employer, a, a large employer in the cities we're in. And we also, um, as a business, just to give you a sort of sense of scale. And I hate doing property by square foot, so I'm not going to do that. Um, we um, provide space for 3,000 businesses. So we have 3,000 businesses of all different sizes within our spaces from um, startups, one-man band, co people in co-working space, um, right through to large corporates who take large amounts of space with us or who are locating, interestingly, um, smaller parts of their high-end tech businesses within, within our spaces. We also have um, more than 200 retailers and hospitality businesses um, who are within our portfolio. So as we've been talking about um, already this afternoon, um, very um, hard hit and very quickly hit through, through this um, crisis. So that's kind of who we are as a, as a business. Um, I can talk a little bit if, if you think that would be interesting about how we've um, seen the last uh, six weeks or so. Yes, please. Yeah, I think that'd be useful. So, you know, clearly there was a, the, the initial, we, we've been sort of watching this thing emerging um, and I was watching it actually through um, a MIPIN lens because MIPIN is the property, com uh, property conference that happens in the south of France in the middle of March every year and, and um, I bumped into Howard Bernstein actually on Victoria Station in the middle of February and 
started talking about Mippin and he said, well, that's not going to happen this year. Um, and uh, we started watching, is, is this going to happen or not? We, we always take a, a delegation. I go and as it approached, I became very clear I didn't want to be in the south of France with 30,000 people from around the world shaking hands and talking to each other in conference space. Um, and it got cancelled the week before uh, we were due to go. So this was kind of, I, I'd seen it through this lens approaching, but I don't think um, any of us had quite imagined the shock and the speed with which it would um, impact on, on our um, business and on our life, really. And um, so we spent, a, as, you imagine, as you'd imagine, the first um, period in a, as most businesses were, dealing with this kind of huge economic, but also societal um, upheaval and trying to work out how we kept both those 800 staff that we had safe and kept our customers supported at the same time. And, and that was a very challenging period and started through you know, the hygiene and the, the practices we had in our buildings through to supporting businesses as they were um, needing to work outside the buildings and wanting to, to close down space and as we needed to withdraw um, as many people as we could from our buildings to help them um, maintain that kind of safety. And we've, we've worked um, tirelessly with um, those 3,000 customers to, to try and support them um, through this through this period and, and understand what um, they've needed um, in order to, to continue working um, effectively where they could or to get the support, access support from government and other places, including us, um, where, where they needed to. Um, and, but we're sort of moving, we recognised, and, and uh, in fact, in, um, when I worked in the Department for Transport, I did quite a lot of emergency planning work and was involved in the 7-7 bombings on the tube and foot and mouth disease and petrol crisis and those sorts of things. And you can see the rhythm of these kind of crises. You have to deal with the crisis at the front end, but you start moving into a new normal and then planning for recovery pretty quickly. So you could bring that expertise to bear. And we, we're starting, you know, we are now in firmly in that sort of how, how are we moving into a recovery phase and loads of, um, you know, everyone around this table will be, will have been bombarded with advice from their sector associations, from, um, from uh, property industries, from businesses trying to sell to them, um, through to, you know, um, the Daily Mail, will we'll all be giving their advice about how we, how we move um, through and out of this. And we've, um, you know, it can be a bit overwhelming. And, and so we, we've taken a bit of time just to say, okay, what does, this, what does this actually mean for us as a business? And to try and draw through some of the trends as they absolutely apply to us, not to the sector, not to the city, not to anywhere else, but just, just to our um, business and what does that mean? And we, we've seen a, a few interesting things around, you know, this acceleration of trends that were already happening. I don't think there's going to be a big disjuncture. I think this is going to, we're going to see things accelerate that were already been in the pipeline. So that sense of flexibility, what's an office for, how are people using space, a, a move towards cost consciousness. So people are going to need to be thinking, how do we spend less on things like property? Um, the safety and the health and the well-being of employees is coming through really strongly from the businesses um, that we uh, have as our customers. And then we sort of see, so that's a kind of business context, um, we also see this sort of employees dynamic being quite interesting, where we're seeing sort of more tuned in and assured employees in a funny kind of way who are thinking about what they want from life and from work and how they work and how they work productively with stronger opinions about what that looks like to them. Um, and then a sort of um, this kind of health anxiety and awareness and, and sense of, you know, how's this all going to play out and how do I keep safe coming through from, from employees very clearly. And then this sort of sense and we've all had it you know listening to the birds and to nature and all that stuff about you know this focus on the fundamentals of life what is it that really matters to us and we sort of see those things playing out and 
it's quite tempting to say, oh, well, there's a series of trends. How can we respond to that? But actually within them, there are a whole series of tensions. And I think this is where it becomes really interesting, where you have to respond to those things in combination where they don't sit neatly together. So, you know, I'll give you a couple of examples. One is um, creating more smart buildings where oh, smart um, technology within buildings. So you don't have to push open doors. They open automatically. You, you know, you um, have uh, cleaning regimes in your, in your restrooms that are automated. So all of that kind of smart technology, which seems like it really hits all of that safety of employees, safety of your customers, and yet really is at tension with this cost consciousness and, and people's willingness to pay right now and, and confidence in paying, that's one. Another is around freedom and flexibility that people um, uh, want in their working lives, and yet as a business needing to be able to plan the space, particularly as we're just coming out of this COVID crisis, so that you know you're not going to be overwhelmed on one day and have nobody in there the next day. So how are we creating social distancing, but also responding to people's desire to um, work in a way that they want to work? So there's some, that's a couple of, of sort of thoughts. And it's just, it just left me with this kind of, as we went through that process, you know, we all need to be able to do it for our own businesses, taking all of that noise that's out there and, and kind of creating some focus and um, concentration on the long term. And I think I just want to finish, if I could, Frank, not letting you get a word in edgeways, which is a bit unusual, or <laughs> even more unusual, um, with, a, with a sort of couple of points of optimism, really, so that, that we're seeing from, from our perspective. So Bromwood, for those of you who, who don't know, took a sort of swerve a few years ago into um, uh, creating space for science and tech businesses and owning science parks. And then amongst that, we did something which half of our business, I'm sure to this day, still think was bonkers and bought um, Alderley Park, which was the old um, AstraZeneca headquarters in um, the Cheshire countryside and we talk a bit more about that in in, in a while but um, we moved into the science and tech space and I think that there is a a real sort of optimistic note in this which we've seen particularly playing out um, but not solely playing out in science and tech and um, businesses around innovation and um, innovation both of products, and Mike um, stole my example around ventilators, but let me give you another one, Brewdog starting to um, create hand sanitizer, which they were giving to vulnerable groups um, instead of brewing beer. Um, so this innovation in products, um, but also innovation in business models and how business models are working. So, you know, the move to online, but there are other examples um, of business model change, um, which I think we'll continue to see. And also some new partnership, innovation in partnerships. And really to Mike's point at the end, um, that we're seeing some really interesting ways of working that cut through a load of the old, you know, this is going to take three years to set up and endless documentation. And, and the, the example which many people would have heard this morning on the radio uh, around um, the NHS using private hospitals um, in ways that they would have found unimaginable um, just, just a month ago and, and doctors and surgeons consultants talking about the way that is freeing up um, new ways of working and, and real innovation to the benefit of, um, um, of people needing healthcare. So that's my kind of note for optimism and I think there's quite a lot to build on there and in thinking about city recovery rather than business recovery, I think that there are some things which we ought to press on faster than others and not just kind of keep moving everything forward at the same pace. And that's, that's where I'll leave us at this point. That was an excellent contribution, Jessica, as always. Thank you. And uh, you know the risk of allowing Mike to go first. He's always going to pinch your best lines where he can. Only one. You used an interesting phrase there when you said we need to accelerate some of the things that we were going to do anyway. Yeah. And I think that in, let me take Bruntwood as a business. Bruntwood has always, I think, been innovative. It's been forward thinking. 
the way in which it's diversity, diversified its activity in its portfolio over the last decade or so, uh, you know, that is clearly in times such as this, um, Chris Oglesby and his colleagues must be thinking, thank goodness we did that. and We didn't leave all our eggs in the commercial rental space. Um, but the other thing I know Brunt would are keenly interested in, Jess, and you have a particular responsibility for, is that the places that you are operating in, you care deeply about their economic growth and their well-being and the fact that you want them to be successful so that Bruntwood can be successful. You quickly reference cities and city growth there. Are there any areas where you think Bruntwood will be looking to work in collaboration with certain sectors to, as you say, get those quick wins in place, I suppose. Yeah, um, thanks. Thanks, Franco. Um, yes. Um, so, I mean, we've been building this, we've been building this sort of pretty rich set of partnerships um, with quite a range of, of different organisations. And some of that is other, other businesses. So our sites and tech um, uh, business owning science parks and creating a network of, of innovation districts is a, is a joint venture with Legal and General um, as, a, as an investor partner and relies on partnerships with universities and local authorities and local areas in the places that they're, that they're in. So we've, we've sort of been building that kind of rich place partnership. We've always for a long time had a history of partnership with um, local authorities and um, earlier in the first quarter of this year we bought um, Stratford Mall and Altrincham uh, Stamford Quarter um, in a, as a JV with um, Trafford Council um, and so we've kind of got some of these these partnerships in in place in fact and, and you know some health service partnerships which are, are pretty interesting I think um, these give you these have given us quite a lot of experience about where we can bring our um, uh, private sector you know, a private sector um, flexibility um, and commerciality to bear on some really intractable problems and I think we you know we I've been talking to Chris about how we um, continue to drive that um, over over the next few years it will be absolutely needed as we start building recovery and particularly if you think about recovery of our high streets um, and town centers and those places where people um, come together and that add vibrancy and, and life to all our lives um, and I think there may be some opportunities in there around um, different kinds of workspace as well so if you think about you know I'm, I'm sat in our kitchen and I don't particularly like home working but I'm also right now not that keen on getting on the tram and going into Manchester city centre every single day now I'll do that sometimes but would I like somewhere that I could walk down the road or get on my bike and head down the road and sit in a professional environment with great broadband and where I could have a, a, a professional and distance from my own home and are there some hub and spoke models we can start building as a as a um, as a property um, co a company and developer and that we could invest in that that become part of our town centers and high streets and I think there could be some really interesting um, opportunities um, around that and I think that on a bigger picture we you know we are trying to support the cities that we're in as they build their recovery plans and having big employers, big businesses in those places who have skin in the game, um, as we talked about earlier, really engaging smartly with, um, uh, with public sector partners um, will help, well, is, is essential actually as we move forward. And, and some of that is because we have a, a voice and can create some influence in central government. We can spot gaps, we can join things together across places um, in, in different ways. Um, so I, I see quite a lot in that. And let me give you a, a, another example. Chris, uh, Mike talked about local authority um, delivering faster than the banks. Um, 
now actually local authorities are getting grants out the door at very variable speeds, partly because they have different amounts of capacity and also they have different levels of confidence to innovate, I think. So some local authorities we know about who are saying, we can't do that because government has said no. And other local authorities are saying, well, we're not going to spend all of this this way. So tell us what you need, you know, tell us what this is looking like for your small businesses. And um, we'll put a package together and promote that to government, which we can jointly, you know, which we can use our industry bodies to also promote. So I think there are some, there are some ways that we can work informally and softly and then there are some big roles that we just ought to be taking in in more formal partnerships yeah it's great points there in terms of how more entrepreneurial uh, public sector agencies will probably get a better bang for the buck out of this and again you know we're involved with conversations at uh, regional level and it's interesting to see how uh, and i will take liverpool as as the example here because we should shout about uh, the city when it's doing the right thing. And it certainly has over grants. I think it's been exceptional in terms of the way it's got the money out of the door. And, you know, the mayor's point of view here, Joe Anderson, was, look, some people might get this money who shouldn't get it. But I'd rather that than delay money to those that are needing it and do qualify. And actually, where there's businesses that have fallen outside of the criteria, let's start to explore ways in which we can help them as well. And I think that's... That's absolutely the way in which we, we need to go. Final point to you, Jessica, before I open it up to, to questions, because we, we've had several. I'm not sure if you're on the chat. Um, I see the chat, but when I put it up, it covers your face, Frank. That, that's it. Well, yeah. <laughs> and obviously, Jess, you prefer it to cover mics, but there's nothing that <laughs> you can move it. <laughs> <laughs> Just final point, because I, I mentioned that the Bruntwood um, have innovated, be more diverse in its approach over the last 10 years or so. Uh, and listen, we're one of its biggest customers. You know, we've got offices in all the cities we operate in. And, and one of the first calls I had was from someone from Bruntwood saying, what can we do to help? Uh, which is a fantastic uh, customer service. Uh, and of course, it's one that being a long-term customer of Bruntwood, we've come to expect. There will now be those who are in the same space, um, I'll use the word competitors, um, who haven't been as diverse, who are now looking at their bottom line, thinking we're in deep shit here. Um, what would your advice be to those sort of businesses, to those companies, as I say, slightly different from the model that you have yeah. uh, but clearly facing some of the same challenges I think that would be um I'm not I'm not sure how much advice I would um, <laughs> give to our competitors I mean I suppose if I think about what our uh, what will see us through this and and to be clear this is not going to be easy this is going to be a pretty bumpy road and we've modeled some pretty you know, grisly scenarios um, as, as we look ahead. Um, I think the thing that will see us through is the focus on having a really clear sense of purpose, what we're about. We're, we're there to support, create great cities that are vibrant and where people do well in them. And that's businesses and the communities that are, that are there. And that that's always been part of what we've been about from the time that Michael Oglesby was first you know, sort of um, moving into creating, you know, something out of the, the hollowed out shells that were some of our cities. And, um, you know, so having, having that clear sense of what we're about, that we, that we keep coming back to, that hasn't all been ditched when this happened. It was, um, it, it was a clear part of our focus, but also um, the and you, you raised it really, trying to keep close to our customers. Now we're not going to get that, you know, there are going to be customers who suffer, you know, have a really difficult time through this. And we'll try and do what we can to help that within the bounds of the things that we can do. Um, but keeping really close to our customers and understanding what it is that they need and having those one-to-one -one conversations gives us such richness 
in understanding what they might need as we come through this. And it's not going to be a one day, it's all going to be fine. It's going to be a long haul. And how do we prepare to, to do that? Um, and to, um, and to kind of, yeah. So I think that sort of customer, that understanding of our customer base is just, is just critical. And, and, you know, also the property fundamentals of, needing to have enough money to pay your interest payments <laughs> and so you don't go bump and so you know we're gonna sort of being able to cut your cloth around this and be as efficient and, and and productive as you can be through through that process but also doing right by your customers because um it's clear to me and i, I don't use our sector necessarily in this that those businesses that are seen to be doing right right now will get real benefit from that as opposed to those businesses who are you know exactly. need to be doing wrong and i um you know i think about for instance you know the starbucks of the world who are big global corporates who are um well capitalized and are not paying the things that they should be paying who aren't you know who aren't um, that means taxes and rents <laughs> yeah and who are and who are looking for government support you know there is a trait there's a deal to be had here there's a deal between employees and employers there's a deal between the government and businesses there's a you know there are some there is a we need each other <laughs> right now and we need each other to be part of an economic jigsaw rather than um protecting our own small sector of um an industry Jess, thanks for that. Let's turn to the questions that we've had come through. And uh, Andy Spinoza, who you both know well from SKV Communication, um, is um, asking, it's not on here, actually, he's texted me this question. I won't read out what he's put on there. Um, so in terms of uh, the conversations that we've been talking about today is about recovery, but of course, previously, what we've spoken about and the dinner that your project spends. Jess, you were talking about that transport investment that is long overdue. Andy's question is, given the fact that the government have had to invest so much in mitigating against the crisis, do we anticipate that those big infrastructure spends in the Northern Powerhouse, in the Midlands engine, will continue? And I'll come to you first, Mike. Oh, um, we don't know is the truth of it. I mean, my hunch is that, that, they, that they simply can't stop them um, for two reasons. One, because they need, uh, they need economic activity. Um, the problem is the, bit, the bits of HS2 they're really spending are, um, are the bits that aren't in the North, um, but they'll need to carry on because, you know, bluntly speaking, uh, you know, good old fashioned Keynesian reflation suggests that capital projects that, that put lots of people into work are, are a good thing at a point where where the bits of the economy we've, we've talked about suffering are suffering. Um, so I don't think I don't think they can pause everything economically. I don't think they can do it politically either, and especially in the north, because uh, you know, just before this trauma was uh, was the election in which you know Boris Johnson was was uh, swept into power on a tide of votes that he himself acknowledged were were merely lent to him and and if he doesn't do something for the north in in the next four years he he will be ejected from office and knows that very well so so i think there are good economic and political reasons for thinking that not everything will be paused there are good fiscal reasons for thinking that that the treasury will want to do so and that's where the battle is going to be fought i suspect that uh, not everything that's been talked about happening will happen some things that have been talked about that could be happening more quickly will be made to happen more quickly and some things will be slower. Problem is we don't know which. Yes? Um, yeah, my, I mean, my sense from some of the more political discussions um, that I've had reports of um, are that the levelling up agenda is absolutely still there. That, as Mike said, you know, there will be a swift ejection from office if um, Boris behaves a bit more like Theresa May, um, you know, this, this ha absolutely, um, they get the need for um, uh, the recovery not to be even more damaging than it could be to, to the North and the regions. Um, there, we have a transport secretary who seems to have the bit between his teeth on 
getting on and delivering some of this transport infrastructure, um, whether that can be delivered, as Mike says, in those sort of um, treasury trade-offs is to be seen. My view is that these things, um, uh, the big infrastructure projects around Northern Powerhouse Rail, HS2, they will happen. There's a, it's a timing question and quite over what time period. And I, I noticed, and, and I, I don't mean to, to sort of um, take over your job, Frank, but I noticed on the chat a question about construction sector that came through from, from Keir. And, um, you know, I think this is really critical that we get, you know, we can get this sector moving. We have, it is a big part of our, um, a, a big part of our uh, economic base and, and um, we ought to be giving that, you know, we ought to not leave it in a, um, uh, fragile place and and you know to be fair there were the, the the announcements around hs2 going ahead came early in this crisis they did. Uh, and, and continuing to go ahead it, it sort of went under the radar because at that moment we were having you know horrendous increases in the number of people dying of covid19 um in hospitals so um it, it sort of it, it wasn't on the front pages but you know those signals i think are, are very positive and frankly, once you've spent all this, you know, all this money, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, keeping, having some route out of it is, is pretty important. And I can't imagine the austerity, you know, I cannot envisage an austerity message right now. I mean, can, if you just stop and think about it for a moment, it's that sort of language and cuts message is, is really hard to here coming out of this kind of government. So can I follow up on that? Because I, I, I think that point about construction is right. It's a really interesting conundrum. I mean, look, I'm seeing lots of people in my profession coming out with, you know, methodology saying this is, the, the, we, we know what's going to happen. I, I just, I just think in a, in a number of key ways, to go back to what I said at the beginning, we don't. But, you know, one thing we know that happened, that happened out of 2008-9, I think we're seeing again, is cash will be king. Mm. Um, so if you've got cash you're holding it you know you're in a better place if you really really leverage which is why I, I suspect this could be a good time for Broadwood because I think we work is going to have a real real hard time mm. um and and others too um so so I think for all those reasons I think I, th I think um construction is in a good place the problem is that I have a horrible f you know, I don't know if it's a horrible feeling, a, a deep feeling that, that there is something going on around uh you know I don't think we can all have clapped all the NHS workers and care workers all those Thursday nights and then go back to a world of such precarious um, uh, uh, employment terms for so many people. I think there's a sense that something wasn't right. And I think you see it there in the Starbucks, Starbucks example and the Richard Branson stuff. But I think there's a sense that there's something not quite right now. You know, perhaps, perhaps optimistically, politically, I, that's what I, my, my personally might want to think. But my, my sense is, is that if what we really want is consumer confidence back and, 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 and to the key point about construction, what you need to drive um, uh, buying houses, renting houses, uh, decorating houses is consumer confidence, yeah. um, then, then you would need to deal with the very high proportion of the British population who've been on very short term uh, uh, contracts with you know flexible and low numbers of hours for sh relatively modest rates of pay that we're going to have to do something that's on the human side of, of, of the account as well as on as on the construction side of the account so 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 my my, my comment to people who are in, in property and construction related businesses on this call is you know you're going to see some things that are gonna, probably going to hit you in your pay packets me too you too Frank um, uh, that that you're going to want to think hard before you viscerally reject, because actually what we're going to need is, is, is for people who are going to be very badly affected by this uh, uh, crisis to come back with some confidence, some spending power to start to rebuild those town economies, because that's what's really killing uh, town economies. It's a lack of spending power. That's going to be worse again as a result of this. And, and I, I think that's one of the many things that hangs in the balance here. So it's not just about capital projects and construction, though it is. It's actually about making sure that there's a, enough pounds in people's pockets in the towns and cities of this country, because without it, we don't get confidence. Uh, next question is from Thomas Mornier, Thomas from Fazenda. Uh, great to hear from you, Thomas. Uh, do we imagine the decrease of demand for officers 
or retail to increase or decrease costs. Uh, less office space to rent may mean the price for the smaller units going up. And if less people have to go to offices because they can work from home, how do you think that will impact on the economy of city centres? Jess, we'll start with you. Yeah, if, if I absolutely knew the answers to this, I would be, um, I, I don't think I would be going to work again. I would have, I'd be backing, uh, I'd be putting on some fairly large bets on things. I, I mean, look, I think um, this great working from home experiment has shown what is possible. It's shown the art of the possible, but I don't think it's necessarily shown the art of the desirable. And um, I think, you know, there are, many of us who think oh you know what we could do things a bit differently but am I going to stop going into a city centre permanently no I don't think so and I don't know many people who are saying they would does it mean um also I think you know there are some real challenges from working from home and particularly the younger people in our team I'm enjoying it because my wife's telling me something who <laughs> share our spaces, who've got shared spaces with their husbands sat next door all day, every day, mithering you, um, the, who are sharing homes with people they don't like much. So, so they, um, so, you know, I think that kind of um, working from home experiment it's possible but not always desirable so i think there's there's going to be a much more mixed economy and particularly for a while as we're trying to figure out how to socially distance in an office um i think people will start using offices for different things because while this is brilliant we can actually come together in a virtual world and constant meetings online are extremely tiring and i've found that a very challenging thing to do and there are um, real benefits for collaboration, which after we get through the first phase of being worried about who we're sat close to, I think we will come back to a, a period where we use space to, to collaborate. Um, I don't know quite what's going to happen to pounds per square foot in that sense. I can see some businesses wanting to have a, access to more space on flexible, in flexible ways um, so that they can accommodate more people coming together at various times. I mean, from, a, from, a, from our perspective, we had an absolutely full portfolio in the city centre. We couldn't, you know, we had lots of people wanting to grow who we couldn't give space, you know, we couldn't find space for. Um, so we're probably in a different position to, to many. And I think Manchester city centre is probably a different place to many other towns and cities. So I'm not suggesting it's, it's the same everywhere and individual dynamics of, different micro markets will play out um, will play out differently so I'm sorry that's not a very conclusive your costs are going to go down if you're in a Brentwood space what what we are clear about is that um, we want to continue to grow continue to invest in the things that are important to people continue to create community within our buildings and also in a virtual sense um, which which we've seen happen um, very effectively Mike? Um, I think this partly answers the point that Kevin Keith's made about whether or not we're going to see agglomeration coming back, that city centre um, sort of uh, innovative clusters stuff happening. Um, I, I think I'd, no one can predict this, the future on this. I, I think there's so many things up for grabs because of the point I made at the outset about how, how proximity can now literally kill you. Mm. Um, I think we'll get used to that. I think um, uh, uh, we'll, 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 we're, in, we're, in, we're still in the early phases of this. And I think we'll get used to it. I think it will, will start to come back. But I have no doubt whatsoever that, that the advice we'll be giving and the, the advice that, that companies like Brumble will be acting on and the government too will be about being flexible and fleet of foot to deal with uh, to deal with the needs of the situation, you know, we needed to have uh, we needed to have all those perspex barriers in supermarkets. They were up within three or four weeks. I will see lots more things like that. You know, what human ingenuity will find ways to to fix micro fix the problems as as they arise. But it's going to be a bumpy old road, I think. And 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 and, and I don't think city centres are going to feel like city centres probably for a couple of years. And the challenge is to keep 
the model going to keep the to flame, there's a phrase I think of using the Liverpool work to keep the flame of, of culture burning for so that it can burn bright when when the circumstances are right and that's the sort of threat that I think we're facing here so so I think I think it's gonna be a bumpy old road but I will make one one conditional prediction and it and it's this it's that you know, we know that we were moving Jessica's absolutely right we're gonna see an accentuation of trends that are already there we know that we were moving towards a more national view of the world and a less international one. I don't like that, but I think it's a fact. This can only intensify that, not least because of Brexit. We knew, know that secondly, there's less ability uh, to import cheap labor to do the things that we didn't uh, want to do ourselves. And, and I note that we were charting planes from Romania now and the Daily Mail celebrating it, but there's, but, you know, I think there's going to be less ability and, frankly, willingness on the part of people to do that in the future. Um, and thirdly, um, we know, not least because of the ventilator and other examples we've seen, of how companies have been fleet of foot and that they have made real marks for themselves, being good companies, uh, delivering real things that our economy and society is needed. All those things point to me in the same direction, which is that an economy that has seen itself boom over time with uh, based on proximity services on on just consumer services is going to be less important relatively in the future than it has been in the past a uh, recent past and that uh, the com uh, companies and, and, and economic models that are based on innovation on adding value on fundamentally uh, making things that people uh, what really need to buy and, and want to buy and feel that are a part of adding value to their lives are going to be more important. So I think I think at the margins in this mix that we don't yet know what, what it's going to look like, I'd say companies that are really innovating, that are really smart uh, with uh, taking intellectual property to their heart and using that to drive value and selling that, not just in the UK, but overseas. I think that I think that's going to be something that I'll be looking and hoping to see more of. And perhaps perhaps just a little bit less, so are, you know, either less of the service sector we've seen or that we just pay more for it and value, value it better. But either of those is, is probably what's going to happen, I would imagine. Listen, guys, I know we said we'd be an hour. We've, uh, we've we're well surpassed the allotted time, but it's been a fascinating conversation as ever. Uh, Andy Spinoza wants me to pass on this message to my He's wearing his Manchester City top as he watches. So I'm sure he's the closest I'll ever come to wearing one. <laughs> um, as always, great discussion. Thanks very much for your thoughts and opinions. And uh, if there are any questions that we didn't get to, I apologise. But uh, Mike and Jess have, uh, have agreed to do a couple of live events when we're back up and running. So we'll get you along to, to, to those occasions, I'm sure. I uh, hope to see you at some of those events. Being great to have Mike and Jessica in the den today. Thank Thanks, you. guys, and I'll see you again very soon. Pleasure. Cheerio. Thank you.